Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. A Justice Department investigation found conditions in Alabama's prisons violate the Eighth Amendment of the Constitution, which protects against cruel and unusual punishment. Alabama prisons have the highest suicide rate in the country, three times the national average. A two-year Justice Department investigation found conditions throughout the entire Alabama prison system are unconstitutional and an excessive amount of violence, sexual abuse, and prisoner deaths happen on a regular basis, making the state's prisons a deadly place to work as well. State prison officials said there are approximately 1,400 officers, about half of what's needed to oversee a prison population of 16,000. The Southern Poverty Law Center sued the Alabama Department of Corrections. U.S. District Judge Myron H. Thompson ordered ADOC to enforce 30-minute security checks for prisoners in segregation units, to immediately implement life-saving measures for prisoners in segregation, and to not place prisoners from suicide watch into segregation units. The court will monitor ADOC to ensure compliance. The Arizona Department of Corrections has banned prisoners from accessing and reading Chokehold, Policing Black Men, a nonfiction book written by former prosecutor Paul Butler. Chokehold provides a racial analysis of the history and practices of the criminal system and ultimately makes an argument for the abolition of prisons. In a letter to the Arizona Department of Corrections, the American Civil Liberties Union protested that, quote, the very people who experience extreme racial disparity in incarceration cannot be prohibited from reading a book whose purpose it is to examine and educate about that disparity. The ACLU continued that, quote, improving understanding of policing, incarceration, and racial bias is especially critical given Arizona's stark racial disparities and overall high rates of incarceration. Arizona is not the only state denying incarcerated people access to books. North Carolina and Florida state prisons have banned The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, which traces the racist practices sustaining the criminal system. Earlier this year, Washington state attempted to ban people from sending free books to incarcerated people. In the face of heated protests, the state was forced to overturn this policy. On Wednesday, May 15th, at least 100 protesters marched to the DeKalb County Jail in Metro Atlanta in solidarity with prisoners who have been protesting inhumane conditions. The diverse crowd blocked the major intersection of Memorial Drive and continued despite violent police actions against them. During the protest by outside supporters in front of the jail, inmates inside smashed over a dozen windows in all three buildings of the facility. Many of the inmates then attempted to communicate through the smashed windows with protesters outside, shouting, help us, and there is mold. Another inmate held up a sign to the window that read, strangled by C.O. King while cuffed behind back. 
Some inmates attempted to communicate by throwing letters out of the broken windows to protesters below. Inmates shouted through their broken windows that guards were spraying them with pepper spray. Inmate workers could also be seen on the first floor jumping and waving to protesters outside. At least 100 officers responded, including SWAT teams, a bomb squad, and a helicopter. Four outside protesters were arrested during the protest. A previous protest erupted at the same facility on April 12th, after prisoners released a video using a jail-issued tablet during a video visit showing the food they were being served, and photos of themselves holding signs made of styrofoam food trays with messages including, DeKalb Jail is mistreating us. We sleep and breathe mold. Please help, we're dying. Need food. This previous demo had about 50 highly determined people who broke the mold on prison solidarity actions as they were able to move past guards into the jail during the disruptive noise demo. A protester present stated, it's my feeling that the participants of that demo overwhelmingly saw themselves as directly implicated in the struggle. As people who have been to jail and are criminalized in diverse ways and not merely as activists supporting inmates, I believe it is that mentality that created the determination. Prisoners inside the jail released the following statement about their conditions and call for support. Inmates in the DeKalb County Jail is actually dying and being subjected to unhealthy conditions. Breathing and sleeping with mold, having skin breakouts, being assaulted by correctional officers in areas of the jail where there are no cameras, etc. Stand for these young men. They are caged away with no voice. No matter what they are incarcerated for, they do not deserve to live in such treacherous conditions. Most of them are there awaiting trials or traffic tickets. They are innocent until proven guilty. But judge ye not, repost and share. Let our voices be heard for them to get attention of officials who can have this facility investigated and fix the conditions. This week, we are part of a conversation with Brandon, a 36-year-old survivor of an 18-year sentence in the Indiana prison system. Newly released, he talks about taking the skills he learned throughout his life and honed in the DOC to become a successful writer while in the Indiana Prison Writers Workshop. He's currently a factory worker. Here's Brandon. Hey, well, my name is Brandon Agerson. I'm 36. I just was recently released after doing 18 years in the Indiana Department of Corrections for attempted murder, which I did not commit. Let's get that out there. I was born in Fort Wayne. I'm from Indiana. Uh, came up through the 80s and the 90s. Uh, it was a different era back then, you know. So challenges growing up was uh, like, you know, just a whole bunch of bad decisions coming up in that era. I made my bad choices, you know, and it led me to down the road I was, you know what I'm saying, that I was going to. So when I got all that, like when I got deep into the streets and was causing trouble, not listening to nobody and I got locked up, then that's when the major changes and reflections and, you know what I'm saying, and like growth really start happening in my life. But it wasn't easy. You know, so I went to prison with the mentality, you know what I'm saying, of survival. You know, I got 30 years when I was 18. I didn't even know how to fathom the time I had got. Then the whole way it happened, I went, I was, I went to trial and was convicted within three months. Well, not, not three months, but from April to basically October or September. That's how quick I, that's how quick I got 30 years. <laughs> they took me off the streets and locked me away. <laughs> 
I did 18. I did from 2001 to to this year, you know. But right before I came home, I, you know, joined the writing class that Miss Deb had started. And I was going through all these re-entry classes. I had did a lot of stuff when I was down. I did college. You know, I went to Indiana State. I did the culinary arts thing to get myself a, a, a career to go out there to, you know. I was messing with the writing, but I wasn't really, you know what I'm saying, like, focused on it or looked at it as a situation where I could really do something with it. It was more like therapeutic, you know. I write I write to get things off my chest or, you know, I be venting or I write a lot of letters to people, you know, because I still like the high personal letters affected people, you know. So writing class was like at that time, the only thing that I could really do. It, it was something, you know, like not a lot of people signed up. It wasn't a whole bunch of hype for it. It wasn't no time cut. It was just something they posted. They posted like some little raggly flyers around the dorms. Nobody was paying attention. They was snatching them down and using them for spade uh, to, to score sheets and stuff, man, you know. But I had seen it, so I was interested. And I signed up. You know, when I showed up, you know, it was a few guys I knew. And, you know, we just we just went in there, you know what I'm saying, like we're going to take it serious. Because at first we could tell, we could tell Miss Devin know what she was doing. But that was a good thing because she wasn't, she wasn't stiff. She wasn't callous. She wasn't like programmed. Like we feel like a lot of the volunteers and people come in, like they come in scary or like, you know what I'm saying, listening to the training, which telling like that the most offender, offenders going to always try to manipulate you or they want something or don't do this, don't do this. It's a whole bunch of negativity, you know what I'm saying, before you even get to in contact with people that you're trying to reach help and you know what I'm saying uh you know what I'm saying gain some type of trust and understanding with so she didn't have that she didn't have them reserves she was real naive about the about the system and she just wanted to you know what I'm saying like hear our story and give us a safe place to share and be us so you know we kind of we kind of helped cuz people was more reserved in the class at first you know they didn't want to open up, they, you know what I'm saying? They thought it was, you know what I'm saying? Like, oh man, I ain't about to tell no more. You know what I'm saying? You can't kind of be like that when writing therapy. So you gotta kind of let them issues out to, you know what I'm saying? To let them heal you, to work on things that's going on in your life. Because a lot of things I ain't realized until I wrote them down. You know, so so she was she was doing that, and that was coming through. Every Sunday, we could go up there and we'd be like in our own little world. And the time would go so fast. And next thing I know, I got a whole bunch of, you know, saying short stories and pieces that's, you know, that's that's good. You know, so she's bringing people for us to meet. She's helping us. Like it, it became a situation where that was my reentry. I'm meeting people. I'm building connections and networking and finding, you know, finding a path out of this maze and I got lost in for all these years. So now when I come home from prison, I have something positive established. You know what I'm saying? I have a network of people that's out here, you know, specifically trying to help people like me coming home after doing a lot of time and don't have a lot of resources or, you know, things, you know, to help them get established. I see people with all the plans and stuff in the world go out and, you know what I'm saying, like, Six months later, back in prison, cause they had plans, but 
there was no way to really achieve them once they got out because, you know, your resources are so limited while in prison. You don't have access to the Internet. You don't have access to a lot of stuff. If you don't have family and support people out there really holding you down, then you really just in there, you know. So the situation with me is that I had a support system and this right here was a was a whole new level. It was people that was believing in me because of my talents and felt I had something to say and give to the world, you know, that I could help people that was in my position or, you know, probably going into my position. So when I came home, I was able to see that, you know, I was able to talk to people and see how, you know, things were now because it's been a major adjustment. It's a major adjustment. There's no way you can be prepared to come back to the world after, you know, a significant amount of time in prison. I feel like I was under a rock, and then they let me out, and it's flying cars. That's how I feel. I'm like, this is crazy. I didn't even know how to get no pop out to out a, a restaurant. You know what I'm saying? I went to like McDonald's or something. I didn't even know how to get pop out the machine and stuff. Like, like you just gotta hold it under there. I'm like, where are the buttons? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's crazy. You know, it's little stuff, but it, it messes with you mentally because you feel like, man, they ain't like, do I belong? You know what I'm saying? Like, what, what really happened? So, so I'm like, I'm cool with it. You know, since I've been out here, I've been, I've been doing a lot of positive, you know, and it ain't, it's the small things, working a job, you know what I'm saying? Staying out the way, not getting caught up with drugs, not hanging out, you know what I'm saying, with certain people or, you know what I'm saying, put myself in positions to get caught up, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's a lot of stereotypes of people coming out of prison. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I know tattoos ain't really a big deal out here, but, you know, that was something they was kind of stressing to us and stuff. Talk about, man, you got tattoos, you carry your tattoos up and this, that, and the other, because people going to think you this way, that way, that way, you know. And sometimes it do be, because people don't really know what go on in prison. They just assume, they see these movies and think that that's prison life, but that's really not. You know, that's somebody's interpretation of prison life, you know. So I be kind of like seeing, like I see like shows and stuff like that. But like the, like the truth is like prison is a boring place, man. Like you sitting around all the time looking crazy. Like it's a place where you can just work on yourself. You don't have the responsibilities of, I'm going to say everybody in society. I'm making a million decisions a day when I was just making like a hundred at that, if that. You know what I'm saying? Like. Prison gives you, it gives you the room to grow. Like, I don't think it's no prison that can rehabilitate somebody. I think no matter who you are, what you're doing, you have to rehabilitate yourself because it all starts from you. If you're willing to do it, then you don't need many tools at all. You just need to make a decision and then just start making steps toward that decision for change. But you can have all the tools in the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I've been to prisons where they had all type of you know what I'm saying, uh, classes and, and stuff for you to take in order to, you know what I'm saying, get yourself together. And they all good tools, but you have to be ready for change. So a lot of people thinking that, you know, people in prison is just like having a ball or I don't know what they be thinking. Like they make it seem like everybody run around acting tough. Most people in prison scared. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a lot of fear in prison. So people want to be accepted. It's a, it's a lot of it's a lot of that going on. People join gangs or click up or they do things in order to really survive and and, and put themselves in a position where they're not an outcast or alone or, you know what I'm saying, subject to 
you know what I'm saying, any type of bullying or things like that. So I just utilized my time wisely. Read books, you know what I'm saying, did things, took classes. I took I tried to take advantage of the situation. Well, I was lucky enough to where well, I had a good support system. Like I lost a lot of people, you know what I'm saying, uh when I went to prison, being I went so young. Uh, so like my mother and my sister have been like major in my, you know what I'm saying, my recovery and, and, and the way I think and you know what I'm saying, just being there for they were there the whole eighteen years. There's not many people that can do that. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like I've seen people that they do that for their own kids. So to have that, to know that, you know what I'm saying, I got somebody out there that, you know what I'm saying, that been holding me down, that been through my struggle, that loved me, that just it it helps a lot. A lot of people don't got support and that that right there will influence if you're gonna change or not. If you don't have nobody, you know what I'm saying? And you get to feel in a certain type of way. Like when people don't get mail, they can't call nobody. Nobody sends them money. They in their body itself. You get to feel in a certain type of way. You feel like I'm alone. I don't have nothing. It ain't nothing I can do. You know, I mean, it's a it's a place where people build walls, you know, and it's not cool to be vulnerable. You know what I'm saying? So you hide behind facades, you know. Playing like, oh, you ain't tripping off this. Oh, that ain't nothing. I don't care about that. But, you know, you do, man. We human. You know, nobody lives in this world alone. Everybody want to be loved. Everybody want to be, you know what I'm saying, felt important. Everybody want to, you know what I'm saying, be make somebody proud. You know what I'm saying? These are human emotions that we all feel. But in prison, it's not cool to show them emotions. It's not, you know what I'm saying, like, it's not the norm. The whole society structure is set up different. It's like a mini city. And the crazy thing is that when I came out here, you know, my family, like I I got nieces and nephews that I had never met a day in my life. But my family had like kept me in a visual, talked about me, showed pictures of me. I talked to them on the phone, like, you know, and we was able to build a relationship through that. So when I came home, they they embraced me. You know what I'm saying? They was happy their uncle was home. You know what I'm saying? They introduced me to their friends and they talked to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I helped them with homework. And you know what I'm saying? Like, it's things that I'm doing that's making a major difference in their life, you know, that I didn't, I couldn't see. You know what I'm saying? I didn't realize them are the little things that you do and that you see and that makes a difference in somebody else's life that, you know what I'm saying? Like, just, just me being gone. Like, I ain't came back and did nothing spectacular. I didn't throw no wild birthday parties for them or buy them, you know what I'm saying, the new bikes or shoes. You know, like I didn't, I couldn't do none of that, you know what I'm saying, but just my presence, just being there, being able to talk to them, lend some advice or just joke with them, make them laugh and, you know what I'm saying, be there. They laugh at my silliness because I don't know what's going on, you know, so it's real positive and motivation, you know, it's motivation for me to stay doing right, you know. Depending on where you at, this makes all the difference. Lower levels tend to be, let's just say, pettier, but really it's more structured. Like, uh, for example, if I'm at like a level one, 
you know, at six o'clock or eight o'clock, you know what I'm saying? Somewhere between that time, I have to be getting up, whether I'm going to a job or anything. I got to get up, make my bed, get my area together. When I'm at a higher level facility, say like Pendleton or, you know what I'm saying, even the level two, you know what I'm saying, such as like IYC or some of that, they're not really factors. They might say it, but you're not going to listen to it. So, so it all start from how you get up. If you got an officer come in there, he's going to set the tone for the day, to be truthful. Because you laying in the bed, y'all chilling, somebody come through yelling at you, get up, make your bed, da, da, da. You're like, why they messing with us, this, that, no, this is just rules. So you get up. Breakfast is served at three in the morning. So if you don't, if you're not like, like an early, early morning person, you're not going to breakfast. Then lunch is always a sack lunch unless it's a weekend. So, you know what I'm saying? You're not really looking forward to chow. You got a wreck in there sometime. It switches. So you would get up, get yourself together. You go sit around the dorm, look crazy. Probably watch some TV. You know, you might start working out. Some people, you know what I'm saying? Like, they figure it out. Some people just walk laps around the dorm, throw the headphones on while laps around the dorm. If you ain't got no job, then you ain't really leaving the dorm other than child or wreck. I mean, like I said, it's really boring. Like, I read a lot of books. That was like how I cut my days in half. Like, I get up. I read for a couple hours, you know what I'm saying? Then I move around. Most likely I had a job and they're probably in the kitchen. So I'm doing that. You don't get paid much at all. I think I made like 10 to 15 sit working in the kitchen. Like it's enough to a little bit of hygiene. I wasn't doing it for the money. I looked at all my situations as like uh, experiences for the future. Like, if I worked in the kitchen, I'm not working in there for the 15 cent. I'm getting it, but I'm not really thinking. I'm thinking, like, well, if I was on the streets, then I had to get up at this amount of time to be here. And then I'm here. These are my coworkers. I got to do this. I got to do that. Like, this is my job. I take pride in it, my work ethic. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was just training myself, preparing myself so when I got to the streets, it wouldn't be lazy. You got a lot of count times throughout the day. You know, you always counting, which you got to go to your bunk, sit down. You're probably going to be there for 30 minutes to an hour. You know, it breaks your day up. Uh, it's only two shifts, you know, six to six. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, the guards are constantly switching. Hopefully you ain't around them that much. Being in different dorms, it would determine that. But, you know, you go wreck. I mean, it's boring. Like prison, boring as hell. Unless you're doing some dirt. <laughs> I'm serious, you know. If you're doing dirt, yeah. If you're doing doing, yeah. you can't. Yeah, I can't talk about the dirt. You can't talk about the dirt. The dirt is the real. People want on the real. Miss Debs, I can't talk about the dirt. <laughs> yeah, Miss Debs' class was like I say. It was not like like a normal class it was but it wasn't like m most of the classes get support by the you know saying the administration they in the daytime like you go to them they got line moving they got this you know like they got all this stuff going on with them like, you can fit but her class was at nighttime nobody was really there like it was it was a situation where it was different for us you know what i'm saying it didn't feel it didn't feel like it was like just some thrown in there to you because you got classes in there that'll feel like that. And like, all right, take anger management and then you go to anger management 
And you might be trying to, you know, what I'm saying, address some real issues, but they just stick it to the curriculum. And the curriculum, like, you know what I'm saying, it might be cool, but if I'm trying to, if I'm going through some real stuff, like, man, it's not working, man. I'm, I'm dealing with this, 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 this. Of course, I'm going to be angry. You know what I'm saying? Like, how do I, I really deal with that anger? You know what I'm saying? And they tell you all this, count to 10, and this, this, that, and that might work, man, but, you know, but did I really deal with my anger? So, for me, writing was a way to like break it down. Like I can I can go deep inside myself, seeing what my true issues was, you know what I'm saying? And I got a way to get it out. And if I got somebody to read that and give me feedback on it, now, you know what I'm saying? Now I'm in a position where not only can I help me, but I can help somebody else. Cuz somebody else might be going through the same situation. It was many times I read pieces in classes or somebody else read a piece in class that touched me. Gave me some insight on something I was going through. So Miss Dead was in. She made a nurturing environment where you can come in there and be vulnerable, and it wasn't an issue. And the guy, it was ten of us, a ten core group in the class. That you know, what I'm saying some of these dudes I would never talk to outside of the class if I wouldn't have met them in the class. Some of the guys was my friends. Like we had kicked it every day, all day, and that's what we did. But we all came to the class like as individuals, but we left like a unit, you know, when I had started seeing some of these guys outside of the class and stuff, I could say what's up to them. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, what I'm saying I go over and talk to them and this, that, and I'm like, man, you know, dude, like, yeah, man, dude, my right class. He cool. You know, it was just it. It connected. It connected some people that probably wouldn't have connected due to different boundaries. Yeah, yeah this is you know, my father, he died while I was in prison. So. I wrote a piece for him, and this is an expert from that piece. It says, so after 17 years, I have changed my whole outlook and demeanor for the greater good of my life. But I still can't help but cringe at the thought of my father and the way I reacted to his loss. I used to tell myself it was a reaction of survival, but the truth is it was self-destruction by way of guilt. My father died from a cancer I never knew he had. He was given a beautiful funeral that I wasn't able to attend. He is buried in a plot with a headstone I still have yet to see. I had abandoned the righteous teachings of my parents and chose a path that landed me in a place akin to purgatory. I now realize that the tears I cried weren't just for my dad's passing, but also for me. I mourned for so long. I mourned for so much that day. My father, my lost childhood, my ruined dreams and unfinished goals that left me with a future that was unknown. These are all the things I lost and felt I could never get back and can't. But I will always have the memories of my dad that live on through me every day, along with the lessons of my childhood that influenced me towards a better direction. And I inspire now by new dreams as well as setting new goals for my future, which is now brighter than ever. Prison didn't break me. It just helped make me into the man I was always destined to be. And while I felt embarrassed to have broke down the way I did, I never regretted it for a second. The only thing I do regret is that my father didn't live to see the amazing changes I made within me. This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our P.O. Box, KiteLine Radio, P.O. Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana, 47402. You can hear previous episodes of our show at wfhb.org forward slash KiteLine. 
For more information on the stories we air on KiteLine, check out kitelineradio.noblogs.org. If you or someone you care about has been affected by the prison system, you can call us to be interviewed or to record a message to be played on the air at 812-269-2512. We also want your feedback and to share your story. Feel free to write us at kiteline at wfhb.org. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. If you want to support our work, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash KiteLine Radio Show. Any funds raised beyond operating costs will be sent to folks on the inside. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every Friday for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.